Hey Ben, good morning. It's great to see everybody today. I think people have introduced me enough today. My, my name is David, and it's so um, wonderful just to see everybody here. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm from Canada, and if you, um, anybody know where Winnipeg is? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, they often make fun of the place, uh, especially the, the show The Office. I wouldn't want to go to Winnipeg. That's usually what happens there. But it's a city. It's a, it's a great city. Um, and I want to introduce it to, it to you as I talk about my sermon today. It's called Safe Places. And before I do that, I, I want you to think of this, this name, Safe Places. Because when I say that word, it often means something to people, especially a generation that's used to people supporting us through counseling or through some support, like safe places. What does it mean, does it mean to you? I'm going to let you ruminate on that a little bit as I talk about Winnipeg and where I'm from. So keep that thought. How do you define it? You've heard it in church. You've heard it out in the world that we live in safe places. Now, some of you are online. And uh, you're listening to this as well. You'll be listening later on. I want you to consider that as well, too. Because we're going to compare it to what I believe what the Bible says, but also what we think of it. And somewhere along the line, if there's a disconnect, it's going to hurt our faith. Okay? So, about me. Winnipeg. This is where it is. Like, well, where, where's Orange County from there? It's one of those little dots at the bottom there, okay? And so you think, well, do, do you know somebody from Toronto? Because we're from Canada or Vancouver. Um, that would be asking somebody, hey, from Orange County, did you know the so-and-so in Minneapolis? It, it's, it's quite a way, right? And so it's a big country. And so we're in the middle. We're about 45 minutes from the geographic center of North America. And so they say this about Winnipeg, that it's quite cold. And also in the summertime, because of where we're situated, a glacier went through there and flattened the whole area. And a lot of river systems go there. And the drainage is pretty bad, which is awesome for mosquitoes. So there's 28 varieties of mosquitoes that live there, and they, keep, they just keep coming, and they really like me. Uh, there's two kinds of people in the world, not saved or unsaved. It was mosquitoes who love you and mosquitoes that don't even notice you. I happen to be ones that are loved. So they say, I have sweet blood. I don't really care. I just get bitten a lot. And so in Winnipeg, they describe it from frostbite to mosquito bite. Those are the seasons, right, we have. But we love, the, we love it there. Um, and so if you want to visit, it's a, it's a straight shot up and then a way, way across. We're about seven and a half hours north of Minneapolis, and I'm sure you know where that is, okay? Um, and, but this, my, my family, uh, this is my family. You can see uh, they're amazing people. Uh, my wife and I, um, she's my bride since 1995. I really love her very much. Uh, she would have been here, but she's actually working on her doctorate. Uh, she's got this PhD stuff. You know, she's got to write it all. It's due in uh, May, 20, May 23rd around that time, so she's just crunching. She works full-time. She takes care of me, so, you know, that's a full-time job already. And so uh, she's really busy, but she's really incredibly uh, uh, an amazing woman. And you know, because she's married to me, she's very patient. You know that for sure. Also, it's really cool to have the, His, uh, the Hispanic Heritage Month. Actually, she speaks like four languages. What she studied in school, one of them was Spanish. And so it was just too bad she wouldn't be here. When you see a Korean speaking Spanish, it kind of throws people off a little bit, right? Yeah, I'm Chinese, by the way, and they're not the same, just in case you wanted to figure that out. You can offend a few people here and there. But um, uh, we got married, and we were, uh, I was converted in the campus ministry. I've been a Christian for about 30 years, so you see new campus converts. Yeah, awesome. That was a while ago for me, though, about 30 years, so I haven't, I've only gone campuses. Are you a professor? Are you sure? You're like, no, I'm just walking around looking for people to become Christians. And so, so that's what we're doing. But um, um, 
I, I, uh, um, we've been there 24 years in the church in Winnipeg. Uh, I've been in ministry about 29 years. But one of the things that I've also done is um, I, I've created some space for me and myself to be able to uh, do other work as well. And one of the, the spaces I hold is I'm a, I'm a mental health counselor. So I've been doing that since 2003, 2005, around that period of time. And so I really uh, enjoy that work because lots of people need that kind of support. But I also have training from uh, the secular world in counseling, but also my master's degree is actually in Christian counseling. So half of it's a theology degree. And boy, I'll tell you, a lot of the tools are the same in counseling in terms of the way we do cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative, but the focus is very, very different. And I didn't really see that until I went to the Christian counseling side and I started realizing, wow, some of the stuff is amazing, but if we start bringing it into the church without thinking about it, it can really wreck some stuff. It can really can. And so I say that for my families because we have two boys. They're amazing. Not so much boys, they're bigger than us already. Uh, uh, one of them's name's Alexander. He's the one with the little, uh, little boutonniere on there who's part of a wedding party. We decided to take a picture. Uh, he's 24 years old. He actually lives in Toronto. He's part of the singles ministry. He's got a girlfriend, so I don't think it'd be that long for that. You know, kingdom... You start dating, you get about a year, year, two years, you're, you're ready to go. Uh, and of course, the other one, Gabriel, he's in South Korea in part of the international ministry. He's just, I think he preached a couple of hours ago. It's great. They have jobs, they got girlfriends. And also, he started dating, and we're like, ah, come on. Like, so two years is a blessing, but we, I was trying to feel for left or right. I was made this joke before, which kidney to sell in order to pay for some of their weddings? And so we're like, okay, here we go, right? But we're like, Amen. Uh, maybe they'll have to take care of it on their own. But yeah, we love them. They're kingdom kids. And one of the things that we wanted to be able to create for them is a place to grow up in the church community and also in our family where they always felt like they could bring themselves. And I'll tell you, man, with, even with us as sinners, as parents, right, maybe more myself than my wife, you know, we help them to really try to see God, but also see human beings that we're imperfect people serving a perfect God. And that's what we're trying to do. And so today, as I talk about my family, and talk a little bit about how we try to create safe places for them, we've done some things that were amazing to create safety. But also, there were some things that we created safety that weren't so good because it didn't align with the Bible. And so today, I'm hoping that I can share a few thoughts as a human being, uh, one human being to another, a uh, saved sinner. Perhaps you can use some of this material for your family, for your community, and for your church, and also the church you're inviting people into, for sure. And so as I start thinking about what I asked you right from the beginning, safe, safe places, what do you mean by that? What do you think by that? And oftentimes if we have an absence of a definition, we'll, it will be filled in by the world. It will be filled in by the shows that we watch. It will be filled in by the practice that we see around, and we just bring it all on in, right? But it's kind of like music. I, I love the worship team. Amazing. Sister led the worship, and the brothers are singing up here. But none of them learned all that information from inside the ICOC music school, which doesn't exist. We don't have one of those. Uh, we don't have the people doing all the tech. You didn't learn it from the ICO, ICOC IT tech department. There's nothing like that. We bring in the knowledge in from the world, and we use it in a godly way. Wouldn't you say there's some ungodly music around? A little bit, right? Very unhealthy use of tech. You know, people hacking your computer, stealing stuff. Yeah, that, that's not a good use of tech, Okay. But when it's used properly, the tools of the world can be really serviceable to the kingdom, including counseling, including the way we help each other. And so today, if you can follow me on the journey today, even if you're new to the faith or new to the church, you know, this can be very applicable to you. And don't buy into the narrative of people who only have looked a little bit into 
how tools work without really understanding the purpose of fixing the thing you're trying to fix. So as we think about this, there's a passage in the Bible I often, I really go to when I think of family, when I think of building a church, when I think of building a ministry. And so here's a passage that a lot of us know. It's in Psalm 127. I see people taking pictures of it. It's in the Bible. You don't have to do that. It's, it's right there. Um, but here's a really cool passage. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for you grant sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I'll keep going here. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. We've read this scripture. A lot of us have read this scripture. But this is a quintessential passage to build the family. It starts off with the house. And then it moves on to the city. And it moves on to the nation. It's a plan. And what's the plan? Gotta do it God's way. We gotta do it God's way. And everybody's amen. Yeah, that's right. But what does that mean? See, if we don't do it God's way, there's an implicit command here that it's gonna go badly for you because we're wasting our time. Do you ever do something in vain? You're just working, working, working at it, you know? And, and can you imagine doing something in vain would be like, you know, two brothers fighting for a sister that doesn't even like either one of them. That's in vain, you know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense. I win. What do you win? She, the, 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 you need to fight for her, not another brother. It doesn't make sense. Or you do the same thing. You're fighting for something that doesn't exist. Well, God says very clearly, and this is the paradigm of the world, you build it any way you want. And you know what that usually means? We build it based on our family of origin and what we see. How did you grow up? What did you see? Whether you're in church or not, let me, hypocrisy is the poison of the kingdom kids in teens and campus ministry. They see church dad, church mom, home dad, home mom. They should be the same. I don't mean equally bad either. Like godly men and women on both sides of the fence, right? But when we build it God's way, what does it look like? Well, the Bible will talk about it, but there's reward to building it God's way. Part of it, it says, sons are a heritage. I mean, he's talking about all kids there. Children are a reward. But it says like arrows. All of a sudden, he starts calling children arrows. What is that all about? Arrows were scary weapons for mainly people who are running straight at your target. You get shot to pieces by arrows. They talked about battles where the arrows, it, 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 it turned the sky, the bright day sky, into night. There were so many arrows coming. So you start thinking about it. How can children be arrows? Well... Arrows are weapons shot to take out your enemy. It can find out weak part pieces of the armor. And it talks about Satan being like arrows. So why would God use arrows? It's because when children are directed properly, their arrows go to Satan's kingdom. When children are not directed properly, their arrows go to their fellow human being and the societies that they build. You can see by the damage where parents are aiming their children. And so our family of origin, oftentimes, we're either running towards it, meaning like we want to imitate them whether we want to or not, or we're running away from it. I don't want to be anything like them. And I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. I remember a great elder sitting down with me one time as I became a disciple in the campus ministry, and I banged through stuff a lot, trying to learn things. And he sat me down and said, you know, David, you can't define your Christianity 
by not being like your dad. I was like, huh? I said, what do you mean? He goes, you got to go toward Jesus. You can't run away from being a bad person. And I went, oh, that's what was profound to me. Because it's very different. And as we start building our homes and our family, which way are we aiming our teaching? Because the way we aim our teaching, and when I say teaching, it doesn't mean the devotionals. I'm not saying we don't have devotionals. But it's the way we live. It's the way we think. And it starts off with, do we truly, truly, truly believe that unless God builds the house, that I'm going to waste my time? I really am. It's just about, not about feeding kids and keeping them alive. And when you have young ones, that's what it feels like, you know. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Eat, you know, and then, and then they got to clean themselves. Those are the three things, right? But as we start thinking about what it means to build our family, our church, our lives, the Bible says very clearly, unless we do it God's way, and I know this is so simple, but it's not easy. How many simple things do we know, but it's not easy for us to do? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I got that. Yeah, it's easy to, no, it's not. It's easy to hear, right, and, and recite it. But any, I mean, it's so simple, but it's not easy to do because people are irritating, including me. They keep doing stuff to, bro, you are pushing my last nerve. How do you do that? You're just amazing. How do you find that nerve the first time I see you? You're amazing. Like, you are just, you are a sniper at doing that. But at the end of the day, why do they push my buttons? Because I got too many buttons, probably. I got too many buttons, right? And so after a while, I got so many buttons, I'm a button in itself, right? And what happens, it's not, it's not God's way of building a church and a family. Here's something to think about. The Bible says, in that nutshell, we must build community God's way. Because if we don't, it might look all funky and fancy, but you go down the road, it's going to fall off somewhere. It is. It always is. It looks great in the beginning. It tastes great in the beginning, but in the end, I mean, there's this idea of it tastes like gall at the end of it all. There's no proud moment where it ends happily. You know, we call it kingdom happily ever after, right? We all go to heaven, as many people as possible, our families. But God says, until we build it his way, and oftentimes we get this, it's so simple, we skip over it without understanding it's the most fundamental thing to think about because everything else builds off of it. And everything we should do is informed by that thought. But what does that mean to do it God's way? I think first thing for me, for me anyway, is to recognize this thought. God's, the way he thinks. And it talks about God here being, an, he goes, Isaiah 55, he shares about, God shares about himself through Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I had this idea that, okay, God's really, really different than me, and he's number one. But you know, though, we're a close second. You know, I mean, you know, yes, I'm not like God, no one's perfect, but come on, you know. But meanwhile, I think this passage, the connotation is, there's God in first place. That's it. Well, come on, there's got to be a second place. Yeah, but the second place is so far away that he can't even be called second. It's not even the same game, right? Right? That, like, that, that's how many touchdowns do we get in hockey? It's the wrong game. You don't know what I'm talking about. You don't get touchdowns in hockey. You do, you, you're, in Canada, you, you get goals in hockey, okay? You know that, right? Hey, so, uh, you, oh, man, I feel sorry for you. Okay, so part, part of that is like, it's a different game. 
God is in a category all by himself. He is a being, we're a being, that's about it. And sometimes we think, well, it's close. No, it's not. It's not at all. And if I start thinking God's close to me, and I think that he's close to my way of thinking, then, well, I'm going to start building that way without realizing. Sometimes, because God's so different, if I were to really think about how he wants me to build a community, it would really freak me out. It would really freak me out. And so sometimes when I'm just a little too close and I think, wow, this is really comfortable. This is easy to understand. Well, I'm really probably not doing it God's way because what does he say? You're not going to get me. You're not going to really understand me till you really, really try. Even then, you only get a little snippet. And here's an interesting thing. We hear God's voice through the scriptures. God's voice is much more than scripture. He started working in your life and working in my life long before I picked up a Bible. And he's working and he continues to work. I'm not saying you don't read scripture, but we got to hear it all out. And many times as we look at the Bible and we don't get God, and we don't really understand that he's so different than us, then when we're building our community, our church, our life, yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, there's God, there's me. I mean, I'm not that close to God, but there's something. But I'll tell you, if I were to say, everybody here's heard of this coronavirus, right? This microscopic thing. I don't know if you've heard about it down here. It's a thing in Canada, right? If I were to say, well, you know, hey, bro, you're, you're, you're similar to coronavirus. You're like, no, I'm not. This is a microscopic thing with a little crown knocking everybody out. You know, we're closer to being like a coronavirus than we are to being like God. I know we're made in his image. It doesn't mean physically. But even that is a small portion of whatever he is that I can't define. The amazing thing is he sent Jesus so I can get a picture of it all. But Jesus was a snippet of who God really is. And so when I start thinking, I must build the house, the Lord, the way the Lord builds it, I kind of have to understand, it's so far away, and it's not a simple thing to understand. So why am I setting this up for safe places? It's because you'll see the connection in a little bit. So when I start thinking about my ways compared to God's ways, maybe something to think about. What are some of the things that I do that are really God's ways? What are some of the things that I do Honestly, I'm not even sure what ways they are. Because if it's not intentional, there's a good chance it's not God's way. Because it's a hard road. You intentionally fall on the wide road. You don't intentionally fall on a narrow road because it's narrow. You have to think about it. You have to watch your step wherever you go. The difference between walking on a tightrope and a big eight-lane highway. I don't have to think very much walking the highway, unless there's cars there, of course. But if it's empty of cars, a tightrope, I've got to walk carefully. I've got to watch how I balance. And with God, when I compare my ways to his ways, oftentimes I find myself very different than God. And when I find myself there, that's where the Christianity meets the rubber meets the road. Wherever God disagrees with me, he has to win. Because if he doesn't, that's the opening of a doorway. That's the hole in my boat. Can you imagine Marcel in the same boat? And I want to thank the halls for bringing me in. But him and I are in the same boat. And I see a hole in Marcel's side of the boat. And I go, ha, ha, you loser. You got a hole in your boat. <laughs> Unless you don't know how boats work, a hole in his boat is a hole in my boat. It's just get him wet faster, but I'm still going to die. A hole in anywhere in my Christianity, a, a breach anywhere, when I start not comparing my ways to God, I start ignoring it, I deny, or I minimize, it's, it's going to be a problem. We won't see it till later on, and oftentimes we see our ways being passed on to our children. Because I'll tell you, the lessons you think they're taught 
but they're more caught. Don't care. My dad, hey, he was telling me not to smoke as he was smoking. What do you think I did? I picked up smoking. That's what I did. I had a cigarette since I became a disciple. I'm super excited about that. He quit one day. I chewed a lot of pencils to death, though. It was just the way it was. But I'll tell you, though, whatever he said was very quiet compared to the way he lived. I love my dad. We worked out a relationship very much so. But I'll tell you, I know that a lot of the way he was affected me because he didn't do it God's way. And of course, I, there's times I didn't do it God's way, but I had enough people in my life to tell me, hey, David, you're doing wrong here. You're not doing it God's way. It's hard enough to deal with stuff I do see. It's even harder with stuff I don't see. And we know one of the great things about blind spots is we don't think we got them. Well, I don't see. I, I corrected my blind spot. Well, you just created a new one, right? And unless I have eyes all over the place, which would look weird, right? I, I can't see everything. In the end, I know we want people in our lives. That's what we want to create this community for. And if you have people in your life, amen. But if you don't, it's important if you want to get to heaven. You want to get help to build God's way. You're going to need people to help you. And what's your first step? Maybe write down a list of people you'd like to get into your life and take the first step. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So as we go on, we also, in every home, we build a culture. It's not about racial culture only. We have the Hispanic culture, okay? That's amazing. We love it. It's amazing. We have the Asian culture. We have American culture. We have West Coast, East Coast culture that doesn't always get along. We have political culture. Even in the church, even within different ministries, you have a different culture. But Jesus introduces this idea through Paul to let them know that no matter how different your cultures are, something's got to bond you together. And he says this to them in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. He tells them to put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, so you start to see the, 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 the dichotomy, the polarization. You couldn't get more different than a Greek and a Jew. Two different sides. Or the circumcised and the uncircumcised, people of different religions. You don't go just circumcise yourself for fun. That's, that's not what you did. Believe me, you'd be weird to do that. If you don't know what that is, look it up. You'll know what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, religions or even barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. He's talking about opposite, polar opposites and everything in between. He goes, you come in with these cultures, but Christ is all and is, I mean, Christ is all and is in all. You know what he's saying? When you're new, there are things that you can celebrate about your culture that is amazing. There are amazing things about Caribbean culture. There's amazing things about Chinese culture. There's amazing things about the African-American culture. There are amazing things about American culture. I know more about American law. I think it's Canadian law because I'm watching Law and Order all the time. You know, we're, we're trying to commit crimes in Canada that then they don't even exist because they're American. I mean, we're, we're messed up. We don't even know where we are in Canada half the time, right? We're like, well, what are we doing here? Well, your culture is spread around the world. There are amazing things about the culture. But the humility part of it is there's also weaknesses of every culture. There's weaknesses too. Oh, well, yeah, you know, we have weaknesses of every culture. But we don't acknowledge it. And when we don't acknowledge it, what happens is the things that are celebrated need to be celebrated in church and exalted and held up. But there are things that are not good because Christianity is allergic to that culture piece. And you know what happens? If we hold on to it, it's poison. You know, we talked about, there's a lot of times when people get baptized, a young sister got baptized. We call it, there's different things that are unbaptizable at times. 
Like the wallet, for example, sometimes is unbaptizable. And this is what I mean. You know, as you go into the water, praise God, but the wallet kind of floats on top. It's not really baptized. Because that's my God, right? My ego sometimes doesn't get baptized. It stays above in the water. But sometimes our culture is not baptizable. So I'm a Christian, but, you know, I'm probably more American than, than Christian or probably more Canadian than Christian, and we're not the same. I'll have discussions about that with you, right? We're not many Americans. We're not. It's not like it's a bad thing or a good thing, but we're just not. But can you imagine the unbaptizable baptizable parts of the culture? So what does that mean? So when every community has its strengths and weaknesses, it's easy for me to recognize my strengths. But what about the weaknesses that come with it? And those weaknesses... If I start thinking my culture is better than other cultures, that's when a whole bunch of mess starts happening. And in the church, it becomes what we call cultural pride. Pride in a bad way, not a pride in a good way. That my, my ways are superior. So, in this church, we will do church things, but at home, we're going to do it like the family. So, for example, there's narratives. You can't be open about this stuff, because that's, that's church. At home, we do it this way. There are things we don't talk about. You know why? Because that's our culture. That's the way we've done it. There are some amazing things about it. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about anything. And what happens is we create sometimes a duplicity in our kids. We have a duplicity. We come to church. Hey, man, everything's awesome. We go home. They see what happened. Well, it's because we're this way. This is our culture. And it becomes problematic because here's the problem. When it's not justified by Scripture, why do we hang on to it? Because I'd rather gravitate to what is comfortable than what is right. You see, I'm also afraid to be judged by my peers and the people in my culture. Why would you do that? That's so American. You're like, no, if it's American and if it's solid, it's godly. But if it's American and it's not solid, then it's not godly. Like it's, it's not about flags anymore. And so here we are. If every wind of politic and every wind of new theories and it blows us back and forth, it's because we're really not that solid in the first place of what Jesus culture is, what Christian culture is. And we start thinking about culture over Christ or Christ over culture. Think about that. What's the narrative that we preach and teach in our home and that doesn't match church? And is the church culture bang on with Jesus. You see, for us, there's times we can feel lonely in church, and rightly so. If you are not adhering to Jesus' culture, you're going to feel lonely if the church is full of Jesus' culture. You also feel lonely if you're the only one adhering to Jesus' culture and the community's not. You will feel funny, and sometimes we feel funny about feeling funny, but you shouldn't, because you should feel funny if you're a cat in a dog show. You're like, yeah, a little bit different here. I would notice that right away, right? And you know, if you have a cat and a dog, they're very different animals. They are. And for us as disciples, we start thinking about this. Has it really been Christ over culture for us? Or there's unbaptizable bits of our culture that we just hang on to, and it becomes problematic for us, especially if the church starts pushing against it. People can insult me in many ways, but you insult my people, then you're in trouble. Right? My people, what do you mean by that? My culture or the Christians? There's a big difference between that, especially when you convert people. Everyone's converted from a home culture. They are. When does that get baptized? Because some of us may be hanging on to it a little too long, and it's causing problems. So as we go on, part of understanding culture, we want to be able to get a community of trust and support. That's what we're trying to build. And the Bible says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
You know, back in the day when the family was the main unit, nobody stuck closer than a brother. Your family was your family. But it's introducing this idea, even in the Old Testament, that there are people that you choose, that are your friends, that are godly, that can be closer than your family. Jesus introduces that idea. Who are my brothers and my sisters? The one who do God's will. And if we don't shift that, we can be surrounded by people and feel all alone. It's because they're not my people. It depends on how you define my people. There's a fundamental shift doing it God's way that when I get baptized, I'm not Asian anymore. I'm Asian, but I'm Christian. Christ over that. Yeah, well, you know, us Asians, we're a little more quiet. You know, we're, we're not uh, open about this and this. Well, this is who we are. That's, that's not, no, no, I haven't learned how to do that yet. You know, it's like, no, well, I mean, that's the worst thing I can do is to just settle in and realize that it's not American or North American or whatever it is I'm trying to imitate. It's Jesus. Don't confuse the two at all. And as I started thinking about it, we need to know how to choose in the cultural pieces to cultivate those who can help us see that around us, that they can be closer than any family could ever be. The eternal family. That's us. Who else are you going to spend forever with? That's a long time, folks. That's a long time. Well, they're still here. It's been a million years. Like, man, do we not know what forever means? It's a long, long time. You know, things that were cute when you were dating is not so cute when you're married because now you're like, wow, I'm here for life. What's going on here? And so then that's why it talks about perfect unity and unity of cultures, unity of, 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 of um, um, the way we do things. If it's unified in Christ, we'll be fine. All these people want to go to heaven, but they don't want to follow God. You're going to be pretty miserable there. It's all about God. You're like, what is, why are we talking about God the whole entire time? It's because this is heaven. Chances are you are not going to have that experience because you're not going to get there. So why would someone on a completely opposite trajectory suddenly at the funeral suddenly go to heaven? Like, what happened there? Like, that's not how it works. Well, we know physics. We throw a ball and we suddenly don't see it. Wouldn't the ball come out the other side? If you see it suddenly go up, you know something interfered with the ball flying past that curtain. For us, as we think about the culture we live in, we are imperfect people that serve a perfect God, and we're looking for people to be able to help us, that maybe be able to snap us out of the way we're doing things that maybe are not aligned with God. And we don't see it sometimes, that maybe we're more culturally proud than we think we are. And when I say culture, oftentimes we think, well, non-Americans everybody's got a culture. You have a home that's a culture. You know, baptizing family members is awesome. Let me tell you what's not awesome about it, because it can call you out now. Stuff you get away with before, and they're like, you know, honey, now that I got baptized, I have a couple questions for you. Because, you know, I didn't read the Bible before, now I'm reading it. You know, some things that don't align here. Well, you're just being prideful. You're just a young Christian. No, you're right. I'm a young Christian, but I can read. That's what it says. Some, a lot of conflicts happen when your spouse gets baptized. You're wondering, well, when are they going to get baptized? Maybe when you're ready, not when they're ready. It's crazy, right? You're like, what? You know, I asked the parents, are you sure you're ready for your kids to become Christians? Because they'll call you out too. Unless you have the culture said, well, you can't call me out because I'm older. Where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? Well, the book of opinions, chapter one. They're right there. Book of David, chapter 4, one of my favorite verses. Do what I want when I want. Keep moving the goalposts, right? Can't do that. And you know what I mean. When your kids become disciples, they may not have the same experience, but they can see. They can read. They know the interesting things you say when people cut you off in traffic. Dad, is that holy? Well, you know, I'm just processing my anger, but, you know, I'm trying to work it out. That's an interesting word that you wouldn't say in church, though, right? You're like, uh, yeah, let's keep that between ourselves. You've developed a culture. 
that you can do what you need when you're driving to manage the road, and you can do what you can church. That's, that's something else. You're creating a mask. We're trying to create a community of support. Well, when I think about a community of support, I think of some of the people that we want in our lives. They have very godly and healthy boundaries, right? They just do. They're great people. They know where they start and where they end. They're willing and available. There's some people that are really capable, but they're not able to be there because they don't have time. What else? They're empathetic and truthful. They're great people. They're empathized with you, but they're very truthful to you well. They're not going to try to fix you when only God can. They just won't. What else? They're not perfect, and they get it. I love perfect disciples, don't you? Because they lie all the time because they're not perfect. I know that. They don't mean to lie. They're just deluded, right? They may not be the ones you expected. Think about the person that's in your life now. In a million years, would you guess that would be the person in your life telling all your secrets to? Probably not. Only in Jesus, my friends. Only in Jesus that would happen. But here's the thing that I want to address. A lot of times we expect them to be what we call a safe, a safe place to be. You heard that now, right? It's not a Gen Z millennial thing. It's not. It's spreading all through our churches because I hear it all the time. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. It all depends what you mean by safe. And I'll tell you a story. I am, a, I, I am under supervision, like, you know, um, for, it sounds like I'm on parole. I'm not. It's a supervision for, for, for clinical counseling. I have, to, I have to have supervisor to make sure I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm all there and make sure my insurance is all covered. And I remember in supervision group, there was a young counselor, and she just kept saying, there's no wrong way to grieve. There's no wrong way to grieve. There's no, no, no wrong way to grieve. You know, after four or five of them, you know what, I, my supervisor known me 10, 15 years, and she's like, and I was like, hey, can I say something? She goes, David? I went, hey, I'm just, I haven't said anything. She's like, she's new. Just remember. I go, oh, no problem. So there's no, there's no wrong way to mourn, right? Because, yeah, no, not at all. I go, none? Like zero? Nada? Pulling the Spanish in there? Like, no. And they go, okay, so what if I lost my wife? Horrible thing, right? What if I was so sad and wouldn't have shot up a mall? Well, you can't do that. I go, hold on here. You said there's no, no, Wrong way to get. Well, not that. And, and then and my, my supervisor was like, David. I was like, I'm just asking. Because she's got her little master's degree in teaching everybody this. And what is it? Well, my counselor said I, there's no wrong way to grieve. I go, You're apparently wrong. There is a wrong way to grieve. Okay, what if I didn't shoot anybody? What if you just shot up some of the stories I don't like? No, you can't. So there are rules. So what about safe places? Can I have a safe place where I can do whatever I want in church? Whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. See, here's the scriptures that talk about that. How do I define a safe place? What do you picture? What do you picture? Some of us picture, well, I can just go in and just be honest and real. I can gossip and slander. I can swear. I can do whatever I want. Let me tell you, some Christians have created those spaces for other Christians. Some Christian counselors that I've had to teach say, no. They've hijacked that word safe space and made it sinful and destructive. We had to take it back. We want Jesus and us to be a safe place, but defined by Jesus. I want to build my family to be a safe place, but not the safe place of the world where they can just go gangster on everything and do it. There's no, there's no recourse whatsoever. So when I look at the Bible. A worldly safe place needs to be redefined by Scripture. A godly safe place, it's not a safe place to be sinful. You can't do that. See, here's an interesting thing. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, 
Come to me who are weary and burdened. You're all hurting. Come to me because I'm going to be your safe space, okay? And that's Jesus. Why isn't Jesus a safe place? He is the safe space, right? Well, can you imagine him saying this, though? You don't have to imagine. Just read it. He tells the disciples this on his way out. He's, He's not dead yet, but they will see later on. This is super true. If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Hmm. Are you saying that if we come to you as a safe space, everyone's going to hate us? Yeah. Sounds super safe to you. Come to my counseling center. Everyone's going to hate you after. You're like, I don't want to pay money for that. No way. I can do that for free. But this is Jesus inviting people to his safe space. Is that the same safe space we're creating for the people around us? If it ain't, it's not the safe place he's calling us to. Here's another another zinger that Jesus threw off. Remember, the closest unit you have to be a safe place is your family. Well, here's Jesus. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Here's the kicker. Ready? Do not suppose I have come to bring peace. How about a safe place, okay, on this earth? I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anybody feel safe there? Feeling kind of safe? You got baptized like, what? What did I get? What? It was in there, right in there. You read it. I I know. Because the guy you're following died horribly. I don't know how you do it in America, but it's not super safe on a cross being nailed there. It's not. That's the opposite of it. We're called to be Christians. Why would a safe place be defined by the world to be sinful and destructive? Why would it be defined by that? See, a safe space is a place where God still supreme. And hopefully, maybe what I'm saying may offend some. But just because I offend doesn't mean it's offensive. There's a big difference between the two. Man, I, I, I would like to take this out of the scriptures if I could, because, man, I, I, I do, you know, I got to find my safe spaces, do whatever I want. This is not a tax shelter where you, you get no taxes, nobody knows where it is. It's not a Switzerland. There's no place like that in the kingdom. So as we start thinking about this, the goal of safe is to love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I started teaching more and more because the world took the safe space to mean you can do whatever you want. And there's no safe way. I mean, there's, there, there's, there's no wrong way to do safe. There's no wrong way to mourn, which we clearly see that there is a wrong way to mourn. But I start calling it trusted spaces. I'm not saying you don't use safe, but I know what I mean now. I know what I mean. It's a place which trusted because I'm listened to with empathy. Hey, not harsh discipling, mean discipling, bullying, none of that nonsense. That's also sinful. There's no safe place for that. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is that you're also called to trust God. You're also called to trust God with wisdom, of course, right? With wisdom. You're called to do God's will. It's called repentance. In your safe space, you got to be called to repent. Because if not, you're safe to do whatever you want in front of your counselor or your discipleship partner or your friend, but you're not safe from God. Because God is saying, you're still, those sins are still on you. You've not repented, and someone is boosting that in you. And so, as we're seeking help and wondering about this, you know, for us, as we start thinking about it, how do we define healing? Jesus is healing. That's what he said. I'm the way to life and the truth. I am healing. I am all those things that you're looking for. 
And if we don't do it his way, when we don't find Jesus, we just find some type of self-actualization, some type of awareness. But we don't transform for long. We just got a bunch of tools, and we do with episodes in our life, but not the epicenter of the problem. And so as we think about this, what do you picture of a safe place? Somebody can be there for you to help you be who Jesus is, to help you do what Jesus did. And I think we got to take that back. We're never going to get us each other to heaven. We'll get all these great safe places that's going to be nuked at the end of the world. What's the point of that? Let me tell you, if I gave you first-class tickets to a cruise, best of everything for free, you go, oh, I'd want that. Corona-free. There's no way to do that, right? Beautiful. But what if I told you the ship is called Titanic? You're like, oh, no, wait, hold oh, no. Because I know how that movie ends, right? Look. Guy falling, you know, you remember that. You don't see it. I hope, hope to not spoil it, but he dies, okay? Sorry, it's been out 20 years, okay? So for me, as I think of also the historical thing, he also dies. Just off the coast of Canada, by the way. And so here's the thing. I'm on the Titanic. That feels really good. If I'm going to define things by the world. So as we close, how will this change the boundaries of who you invite into your community of trust and support? Maybe what first steps you got to take right now? Who are the people that can help you? These questions got to be answered. They got to be answered because you can't just walk away saying, wow, that was, that was cool. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I want to be able to think about, is there some name you can write down? I need to get some help because everybody needs help. So as we close, I want to thank you so much for just listening. Hopefully some of this is useful to you. And thank you so much, Halls, for bringing me in. And hopefully you have a fantastic, fantastic rest of the day.